Welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 366 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, not really asked you to agree with me, I'm asked you to hear me out. When we think about championship teams and we think about what it takes to win a championship, balance is usually the number one thing that doesn't really get talked about in the grand scheme of championship caliber teams. We've seen on pretty much the entirety of the NFL as far as its lineage, its history, we've seen teams that are outbalanced in one way or the other, meaning we've seen a team that's a dominant defense, but isn't that good offensively, they don't usually win. We've also seen a team that is historically great offensively, but they don't, they're not that good defensively, so they have to win in shootouts. They usually don't win. When you look at the history of the NFL, usually teams that are balanced, and, it's, and don't get me wrong, it is very hard to find balance in the NFL, but when you're balanced, you have a better shot of winning the Super Bowl. When I look at this 49ers team, I see nothing but balance. The question mark for me has always been the quarterback, and that is that historically has been or at least in the in recent memory, has been the quote-unquote question for the 49ers. How is their, how good is their quarterback going to be? I, I've said this before. I said this last or a couple episodes ago. Gone to the days where you can have a Trent Dilford, you know? Gone to the days where you can have a game manager as the quarterback, and everything else around you be great and you still win. I think that theory was kind of debunked uh, with the 49ers and Jimmy G. The 49ers, when they went to the Super Bowl, and to me, they were the better team in the Super Bowl. They had a 10-point lead, I believe, in the fourth quarter, and they ultimately lost. They ultimately lost because they were playing against a superior quarterback in Patrick Patrick Mahomes, and Jimmy G just couldn't step up when they needed him in the you know when they needed him. So I think that was the year when the whole you can be a game manager and still win if you have everything around you at at peak level. I think that was the year that kind of solidified that it's over for it over for that. And even if you look at the Super Bowls, like I said, balance is everything. A lot of people want to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl and how the offense is drastically better than the defense. Well, when you look at those Super Bowls, that's not as much that's not as true as you think. Yes, of course, the offense is better, and I'm not saying it has to be a 50-50 uh 50 50 equal like the offense has to be 50 percent as good as it no what i'm saying is you can't just have a prolific offense in those in those kansas city chiefs super bowls 
Chris Jones was huge. The defense made huge stops. Last year, Super Bowl against the Eagles, it was a it was a what? I'm not going to call it a pick six. It was a fumble six that pretty much swayed the game or turned the the the, the game on its head. It was Chris Jones wreaking havoc havoc on Jalen Hurts in the second half. Balance is everything in football. If it wasn't, if that was the case, we would have been seen like the. There were there were so many teams that just weren't balanced. The Ravens probably would have won a couple Super Bowls, but they have been unbalanced for a while. I think that this is one of the first years that I believe they're balanced, which is why I have the Ravens winning the Super Bowl. But it's just about if you're not balanced. It shows. And why did I start with that? This the San Francisco 49ers beat the Giants 30 to 30 to 12 in Thursday night football. And you saw complete balance with this 49ers team on Thursday. Now, we're going to talk about the Giants in a second. The, the competition obviously wasn't as tough as you would like it to be. But the question marks that I had for this team, of course, centered around Brock Purdy. And centered around, I even said it in the what AFC West preview, we're going to see the real Brock Purdy. You have a year to, to or you have multiple pieces of game film that you can scheme around this quarterback. I think that was one of the biggest reasons why he was successful last year because he just came onto the scene. Nobody knew who Brock Purdy was. When people hear me say that, I, I, I'm not saying that Brock Purdy's not good. Of course you have to be good to win football games. What I'm saying is to, to have longevity and to be able to sustain that for as long as he's been able to sustain that now, usually that takes not knowing who you're playing against is 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 a big part of that but Brock Purdy quite as is kept Brock Purdy hasn't been great this year I know that's blast that, that, that that's blasphemous when you see the numbers the numbers look like he has been one of the better quarterbacks in football and if you look at the numbers, then yes, you would be able to come to that conclusion. But if you look at the games and if you look at just how he looks in the pocket and how he looks with throws, Brock Purdy hasn't been that good these first, what, three three games. He's overthrown a lot of people. He's underthrown. He's He, he just hasn't looked comfortable. Now, some of that can be, you know, he, he did have surgery in the offseason, obviously, and he did miss a huge chunk, if not all, of training camp. That could that could play a part. It also could play a part that teams are starting to understand how what Brock Purdy likes to do, how the 49ers like to use Brock Purdy. Now, when I say that he hasn't been that good, I'm also taking into consideration and I'm also comparing him to what he did last year to this at this very moment Brock Purdy has never lost in the regular season I think he's like what nine and zero in the regular season at this point 
And the only game that Brock Purdy did lose was in the playoffs after he tore his, what, UCL and couldn't throw the ball anymore. So I'm not saying that Brock Purdy is terrible. What I'm saying is he has not been the he has not been he's been off in the, to start this season a little bit. Not not completely off and not he, he hasn't fallen off a cliff obviously, but he has been off. But even with him off, last or Thursday night football, 25 for 37. 302 yard or 310 yards, two touchdowns. I talked about balance to start this show. And while it doesn't look like it, I mean it just looks like a what 18 point win. The 49ers were dominant on Thursday night football. And they looked leaps and bounds better than the the New York Giants. And when I say balance, this team can beat you in so many ways. Christian McCaffrey has emerged as arguably the best running back in football so far this year. He had 18 carries for 85 yards. He also had five receptions for 34 yards. He had one touchdown. I think that he broke, um, I think he has 12 straight games with a touchdown. Elijah Mitchell had eight carry or 11 carries for 42 yards. Debo Samuel had six receptions for 129 yards. George Kittle had seven receptions for 90 yards. When we look at the, the what the NFL has looked like this early into the season, to me, there are two clear-cut teams that are the best teams in football right now. And as much as we, including myself, because I have been a... <laughs> I've been very loud on this train, but it's 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 crazy and it's very it's very shocking, I guess you can say, that we've been talking about how bad the NFC has been. Or the NFC was going to be coming into this season. Yet and still the two best teams in football, clear cut best teams in football through the first three weeks, or at least through the first two weeks, the third week just started in Thursday Night Football, is the 49ers and the Cowboys. And you can argue that the third best team could be the Eagles. I may be throwing the Ravens or the Chiefs. You never know. But the two clear-cut best teams is the 49ers and the Cowboys. And we talk about balance. Both of those teams, in my opinion, have been the most balanced through three weeks or through two weeks. Like I said, the questions that I had with this team centered solely around Brock Purdy and if Brock Purdy can be better than Jimmy G was in the moments that they need him to be better in. Because there's no question in my mind that we are going to see 
this the iteration of this team now yes the nfl is a long season the regular season i'm saying is a long season and anything can happen we're going to talk about a team that could look drastically different in a second but for the 49ers if this team is able to stay healthy which of course in football is a big if if this team is able to stay healthy and it's able to continue the pace that it's on i don't see a team and i know i picked the ravens to win but i don't see a team being able to stop this team because of the balance I've been talking about. On the defensive side of the ball, Fred Warner, Nick Bosa. This team is, this it's not a lot of holes. Drew Greenlaw. Kadarius Charvarius Ward. It's not a lot. I think in the history of the NFL, and I'm not saying that, let me say this. I'm not saying that it has to be balanced throughout the entire season. It has to, the team has to be balanced in those moments when it needs to be balanced. I'm not saying that last year the Kansas City Chiefs defense was always on the same or even close to the same level as their offense last year or the few years that they've had, you know, Patrick Mahomes and and Tyree Kill. But what I'm saying is in those championship windows and even getting to the championship their team has been balanced. The times they didn't, it wasn't. That's, pl- that's that's plain and simple. When you look at this 49ers team, I see nothing but complete balance. And that, and balance in a good way. You can be trash, offensively trash, defensively. But I mean, balance in a good way. Like, to me, the 49ers right now is the best team in football. It, it's, you can kind of, it's... it's Right now, they're the best team in football. Because we'll talk about the Cowboys in a second. Let's move on to the Giants for a second. I think that there are times when people get what I say, or people take what I say and, and misconstrued it. That's how we have misunderstandings. You know, it, it happens in life. You can say something maybe through text, maybe through voice note. And because that person's not in front of you and they don't see, you know, how your face looks or they don't see your voice or they don't hear your voice, I'm sorry, they they could take it the wrong way. And I think that people are misconstruing or taking what I'm saying as something that I'm not. Let me explain. I've been very vocal about Daniel Jones and the contract that he received this offseason. And I have been very vocal in saying that I don't think that his game has warrant or warrants the contract that he was received. I'm not I'm never going to say someone doesn't earn something. I'm never going to say someone doesn't deserve something. I feel and shouts out to Jalen Rose. He said you you earn you deserve or you get in life what you can negotiate. I want every single player in the NFL to get paid. And I want every, in sports, I want, whether it's uh, NFL, basketball, WNBA, I feel they deserve more money. I want every professional athlete to get paid what they are worth. 
or what they feel they're worth. And when Daniel Jones got his contract, I was very like, I don't think his game, his level of play warrants the contract that he got. I think when people heard me say that, they automatically think I think he's trash. Or I, I think that he is he is a bottom feeder quarterback. That's not the case. That's where I think the the misc what I'm saying is being misconstrued. I put Daniel Jones in the same category that I put maybe a Kurt Cousins or maybe a who's a maybe Kenny Pickett at times. I'm not saying that these quarterbacks are bad. No one think I don't no one thinks that Kurt Cousins is bad. Maybe take Kenny Pickett out of it. Let's just let's just stick with Kurt Cousins. No one thinks that Kurt Cousins is bad. The criticism around Kurt Cousins, however, is he he is a average quarterback that at times is able to rise above being average and being above average at times. But usually he is an average quarterback. And the thing that we know about the NFL is average quarterbacks don't win in big moments. And we've seen, hell, there's been, uh, they've talked ad nauseum about Kurt Cousins' record in primetime games. It's not that good. I'm never going to say that Daniel Jones is trash. What I'm going to say is, when you look, shouts out to Colin Cowherd. I know he wasn't the originator of this, but when he said it, it, it opened my eyes to a lot. You look at look at a player that's been in the league for multiple years. What you should, what you what I do is I take out their best year. For Daniel Jones, his best year was his was last year. I take that out. I also take out his worst year, which is usually the rookie year. In between is is the type of quarterback that you have. And when you do that for Daniel Jones, you get mediocrity. And to me, mediocrity isn't the type of or the type of player that got the contract that he got shouldn't be a mediocre player. Now, when you go back to Thursday Night Football, I just read to you what Brock Purdy did. Brock Purdy, again, 25 for 37, 310 yards, two touchdowns. Daniel Jones, who was drafted higher than him, who has a much larger contract than him right now, went 22 for 32, 137 yards, one touch or one interception. And that's the thing about Daniel Jones. You can take what he did last last week. Or let's let's look at the totality of this season so far for Daniel Jones. He looked like arguably the worst quarterback in football week one. Week two, he looked like that the first half of the game. 
The second half against the Arizona Cardinals, he looked like the Daniel Jones that deserved the money that he received. I think in the second half, he threw for almost or almost 300 yards plus. In the second half alone. This game. You have 137 yards, one interception. Now you can say, well, Jay. That's a very tough outside of, of course, the Cardinals. That's a very tough three-game stretch you just talked about how you feel the Cowboys and the 49ers are the best teams in football right now and the Giants had to play both of them in a span of three weeks and it shouldn't be shocking that they're one and two and my rebuttal to that would be you're right I'm not shocked that the Giants are one and two and I'm not saying that I expected them to be one and two What is shocking is how bad they've looked against top-tier talent. The Giants have looked horrible. Majority, the the one time they looked really good was the second half of the Cardinals game last week. Outside of that, they've looked putrid. And I'm not all just, I know I started this segment with Daniel Jones, but it's not all on Daniel Jones. The offensive line has been god-awful. He has good pieces on the outside. He has Darren Waller. He has Jalen Hyatt. He has Darius Slade. He, He has good pieces. It's just you have to be able to get them the ball. And when you're running for your life because his offensive line is so poor, that's a problem. And on top of that, defense isn't doing too well either. I understand you have big name like Dexter Lawrence but outside of that you don't no one has really shown up to play and I don't I'm gonna we'll talk about Saquon Barkley a little bit later in the show but it if I'm a Giants fan I would feel some I would it would be hard for me to look at this team with any hope and optimism because one thing that to me is because I've dealt with this I do I've dealt with this as a Washington fan the hardest thing that you can do as a fan is have hope going into the season and what Brian Dayball and Daniel Jones and this Giants team did last year gave this team hope for the offseason. The hardest thing to do as a fan is have hope coming into the season and have that hope dashed within the first two to three weeks. And when you look at this team, this Giants team, and you look at the schedule coming up, it can very well be over for this team very soon. If not already. And when I say, and this is where I'll conclude this segment, where I say that I'm not saying Daniel Jones is trash. I'm not saying Daniel Jones is a bad quarterback. I wouldn't say that. But take out last year. 
and and there's no there should be no question in my opinion how good of a coach Brian Dayball is. Brian Dayball is a hell of a coach because you can see you can see his presence either felt or not felt throughout the Giants and the Bills. You see how bad, at least interception-wise, Josh Allen looked last year, and you see how good Daniel Jones looked last year. So there's no, to me, there's no... There's no question that Brian Dayball is a good coach. The question is, how good is really Daniel Jones? And, oh, I'm not saying he's trash. But what I am saying is his game does not warrant or warrant the contract that he received. Especially when you have people on this team, like a Saquon Barkley, that maybe, in my opinion, bear more of the load in terms of pro- pro- productivity of this team. To me, you saw the team, you saw two teams in Thursday Night Football that are going in two completely opposite directions. In my opinion, one team has their sights barreled down, has their sights on the Super Bowl, and it's barreling down. Another team is trying to figure out who they are. And who they're going to be, not only just this season, but moving forward. But shouts out to the 49ers for beating the Giants 30 to 12 Thursday night football. I talked about the 49ers being arguably the most complete team in football. And if you remember, last week I praised the Dallas Cowboys in saying that they had probably been the best team in football. And the Dallas Cowboys took a huge took a huge blow this week, pause. Whoa. <laughs> in losing um Trayvon Diggs with a torn ACL in practice out for the season now two things can be true the team the Dallas Cowboys I think are going to be okay I think with the talent that they have on this team they are going to be okay for the season even without Trayvon Dix to me, that is true. But what also is true is losing Trayvon Diggs is a massive blow to this Cowboys team. Trayvon Diggs is one of the best defensive cornerbacks in football. You and and his stats obviously state that. I understand the which is true. The the, the conversation around Trayvon Diggs is usually he gambles a lot. You're either going to get a big play on Trayvon Diggs or he's going to intercept it. That's just how it is. And that's that is legit true. When you look at the film and you look at you look at how you you look at his game, that's true. He's he gambles a lot. Not saying anything is wrong with that. Nothing is wrong with that at all, but that is just true. 
But we talk about levels on the defense. And you talk about, you know, the, the front, the defensive front, and you have, you know, Dexter Lawrence and Michael Parsons. When you talked about the back level of that defense, you had Trayvon Diggs and Stephon Gilmore. And let's not get it confused. Trayvon Diggs is one of the best cornerbacks in football. And not having him is a huge blow for any team. And not having a player like that compared to having a player like that is as simple as Super Bowl caliber and maybe not as solidified in the Super Bowl conversation. Let me let me explain that before. Let me explain that. Do I think that the Cowboys, especially in, in the NFC, is still one of the, if not the best team in foot in in that division? Yeah, or that conference? Yes. And do I think that even losing Trayvon Diggs, do I think that the Cowboys can still at least make it to the NFC championship? Yes. But when we talk about balance and you talk about the 49ers, having someone like Trayvon Diggs could put you over the top. And not having someone like Trayvon Diggs could be that piece that you're missing. Even with Stephon Gilmore, it could be that piece that you're missing. That's why I said this is a massive blow. When you have, yo, he, Trayvon Diggs is on a Hall of Fame trajectory. I'm not saying he's a first ballot right now. And I'm not saying he's a Hall of Famer right now, but if he continues to play the way he's played, he will find himself in Canton. So you're losing a potential future Hall of Famer. And he's done, and, and he's had such a short career right now. Now, I'm not, I know it sounds like it, but I'm not speaking like it's over for him. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, this is a massive blow for the Cowboys. It's unfortunate. No, but I never. I know I'm. A, I know I'm a Commanders fan. Uh, but no, and but I. I never want to see anyone get hurt. I never want to see anyone injured, especially athletes. I don't care if you're on my favorite team. If you're on a team that I hate, I don't care. I, these are still people. I don't I think shouts out to Miles Turner. He was on a podcast with somebody and I think that he said people forget that these are still people. I understand that we look at you know football players and basketball players as things. Especially when we talk about, you know, the team aspect of it and what you want your team to do and how you want your team to be successful and gambling. Like we look at these players as things instead of people. And I can I can't imagine how it is riding a high. You know, you have arguably the best team in football, and just like that, you're out for the season. Um, I pray for a speedy recovery. And like I said, in this situation, two things can be two things, in my opinion, are true. I think the Cowboys are going to be okay not having 
Trayvon Diggs because of just how good the team is in general. But not having Trayvon Diggs is a huge blow to this team. So, we'll, uh, we'll have to see what happens moving forward. So, let me uh, jump over to basketball really quick. There have been, in these, these last few uh, days, well, for a while now, Buddy Heald has tried to get a new contract from the Indiana Pacers. Can't they traded him from the or they obtained him via trade from the Sacramento Kings and Buddy Heald is one of those very consistent players that can win you or can be the the piece that puts you over the top and that's kind of why and that's kind of where I want to sit because so the Indiana Pacers and Buddy Hill side both sides obviously aren't able to finalize a deal so it looks like so reports are coming out saying that they're going to now look to move Buddy Hill and Buddy Hild and his team is is working alongside the Indiana Pacers to find a trading destination or trade destination for Buddy Hild, seeing as though the Pacers don't want to pay Buddy Hild what he feel he's worth. And I have five t- teams that I think that Buddy Hill will could go on and can change the fortune of a team. I'm not saying that they're going to be instant championship caliber teams, but I do think that Buddy Hield on one of these five teams can definitely change the outlook of their team. Let's start with a team that, in my opinion, should be obvious, and that is the Chicago Bulls. What Buddy Hield... Okay, let's, let's, let's first talk about what Buddy Hill is. Buddy Hill is a player that is one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. I think for a career, he shoots 40%. Last year, he shot 43% from from the three-point line. People that don't know, that's pretty damn good. Buddy Hill is a sniper from the three-point line. He does take a lot of them, but even still, he he takes what? Three? three to eight three-pointers a game. So he is he is a sniper when it comes to three-point shooting. The, 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 when you look at the Chicago Bulls, they are the void of three-point shooting. They're so bad at three-point shooting, they, DeMar DeRozan had to change his game to be more of a three-point shooter. He's still not, but they're not. They're, they're pretty much lone three-point shooter is Zach Levine, and he even has ebbs and flows through it. I think if you're able to trade for Buddy Hill, he now unlocks a side or an area of the court that you as a team has struggled mightily in, and that, of course, is a three-point line. Because when you look, Alex Caruso isn't knocking down threes at a regular rate. Uh, 
Kobe White isn't knocking down threes at a regular rate. Vucevic, he is one of their better three-point shooters, and he's a center. So I think Buddy Hill would be great for the Chicago Bulls. And I think that, you know, with the loss of Lonzo Ball due to injury, and it looks like he's not, or he has already been confirmed, that he's not going to play this season, that now allows... It gives the Bulls a three-point shooter that or sniper that they have not had. So I, my first team, and I'm not ranking these teams, but my first team is the Chicago Bulls. Second team is the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, there has been a lot of talk over the last few days about Giannis's future and about uh, what you know. How are you able to keep? A player as good as Giannis your team has to always be in championship contention now yes having Giannis on your team definitely changed the fortunes of your team and it allowed you to go from maybe a lottery team to possibly a championship team but you need it it, it, it all you have to have the team and one thing that the Milwaukee Bucks struggled mightily in last year was have court offense they are, I think they were one of, if not the best team, when we talk about uh, fast break offense. When you have Giannis running <laughs> running at you full of, full, you know, ahead of steam, uh, off a of steal, off a of miss, the Milwaukee Bucks are one of the best, if not the best team in, in transition offense. They were one of the worst in half-court offense. And that is because they don't really have a reliable three their best three-point shooter is brooke lopez i know you have grayson allen but he's inconsistent Giannis is definitely not good at shooting threes drew holiday he's been very inconsistent at shooting threes even though he's a good player they don't have that player outside of chris middleton but that is a lot on chris middleton to have to be their sole player that can create his own shot and still hit the three well you add buddy hill that opens that takes a lot of the pressure off of chris middleton so he can play a lot better that takes a lot of pressure off of drew holiday so he doesn't really have to worry too much about shooting the ball and and being an offensive weapon as far as scoring and you don't have to worry you have Giannis just being Giannis. i think that was having buddy hill is one of those things for the bucks at least he can change the fortune let me say he can change i'm not gonna say change because i think that this again when you have Giannis, you're a championship caliber team but i think that you go from a championship caliber team to arguably a favorite with buddy hill it depends on who you would have to give up but i do think that if buddy hill goes to the milwaukee bucks they should be at least in the east a favorite alongside the boston celtics another team third team is the Miami Heat. Look here. We all saw what the Miami Heat looked like. Or we all saw how good the Miami Heat was this year in the playoffs and making it all the way to the finals. We understand and we saw how good someone like a Caleb Martin was or someone like a Gabe Vincent was and, of course, Jimmy Butler. We saw the run that the Miami Heat made and how good they were with the pieces that they have, how good they were in making it all the way to the championship. They they obviously didn't win it, 
but they made it there. But even with us seeing that, what else did we see? We saw where the Miami Heat struggled at mightily, and that is the three-point shot. Spoiler alert, all of these teams have a three-point shooting deficiency somewhere. I said I have five teams. Each one of these teams struggles at shooting the three at least, I'm not going to say some, of course, more than others, but they all struggle with shooting the three. The Miami Heat are one of or one of the worst teams at shooting the ball, shooting the three point shot, especially wide open. And you add someone like a Buddy Heel. Now, I understand that Victor Oladipo was out, but even at his height, Buddy Heel is a better three point shooter than Victor. Adding Buddy Hill to me, that could have been the difference between you winning a cup, winning a championship, and just getting there. I know that the Heat won what one game in the play in the finals. I'm not saying that Buddy Hill would have put them over the top and they would have beat the Denver Nuggets, but they would have given them a better shot. Because honestly, again, it was, and I say this every single time I talk about the finals, I I talk about this. It wasn't the, it wasn't the uh, the. The defense that beat the Miami Heat, it was the fact that they could not keep up offensively with the Denver Nuggets. They couldn't hit shots. They couldn't hit threes. All the magic that Caleb Martin had in the Boston Celtics series just went away. I'm not saying he was trash, but he wasn't good. All the magic that Gabe Vincent had in the Boston Celtics series, you really only had one game, and that's the game that they won. I think that Buddy Hield just, it, it's able to... You're, you're able to distribute the the response the, the shooting and scoring responsibilities more evenly and you hit a couple of those shots you may you may be win more than one game in the finals so i think one team is the miami heat let's go over to the um let's go over to the east i mean the west i'm sorry and let's talk about the obvious one in my opinion that's the lakers as great as the Lakers are, or were last year, making it to the Western Conference Finals, uh, beating the Golden State Warriors in the second round, ultimately losing to the Denver Nuggets, having Anthony Davis, having LeBron James. The biggest problem for this team, and the thing that hurt them outside of, of course, their defense uh, against Jokic and the Nuggets, was their three-point shooting. They don't have one reliable three-point shooter on this team. No, definitely. Well, they have better three-point shooters now with the offseason. You know, they, they got Christian Wood. They, they have players. Um, but even with that, they haven't really addressed their biggest need, which, of course, is three-point shooting. I mean, I'm looking at this roster now, and – the best three-point shooter is probably Gabe Vincent, maybe uh, Austin Reeves, Torian Prince, who they just got this offseason. What I'm saying is I'm looking at this roster, and it is devoid of three-point shooting. You add Buddy Hield, that, again, kind of like the Chicago Bulls, that unlocks a part of the floor that you struggle at. And I think... That to me, if they had Buddy Hill, 
that would be the difference between a championship and not last year. Because it changes the way that now people have to defend you. Because you can just pack the pain or stay within the three-point line because you don't really have to. Yeah, there are games when Austin Reeves can go off, but those games are less likely to than not to happen. It's just you have you and that's I mean of course the rumors were Buddy Hill that they wanted Buddy Hill a, a a while ago before I think they got Russell Westbrook and DeMar DeRozan, but I think that adding Buddy Hill to the um adding Buddy Hill to this Los Angeles Lakers team is definitely what they w- would put them over the top as far as they could be a championship caliber or they could be a championship favorite in the West if they add Buddy Hill, and that is the Los Angeles Lakers. And the last team is the Dallas Mavericks. You look at the two top players, obviously, on this, on this team, and that is Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic. And... Of course you have a shot when you have those two superior players. But kind of like we talked about in the first first part of the show, balance is everything in sports. You have to be balanced. A lot of people talk about the Golden State Warriors championships and, and Kevin Durant. And I talk about this a lot, but you talk about those Kevin Durant championships. They were one of the best defenses in the league with Kevin Durant. Every single time the Golden State Warriors have won a championship, they've been top 10 in defense. The This roster is not good defensively in the slightest. Their best defender is maybe Dwight Powell. They're not good defensively at all. And... Another thing they're not really good at is three-point shooting because they really only have three reliable three-point shooters, and that's Kyrie Irving, Luka Doncic, and Seth Curry. Outside of that, Tim Hardaway Jr., he's really up and down. He can catch fire, but again, he's up and down. That might be it. And while, yes, this team does need some height, their tallest player is Derek Lively. And I think that, you know, they got him from Duke. He's going to be good. I think that they also need more shooting. They also need more scoring. And adding Buddy Heald takes a lot of pressure off of uh, Luka Doncic and takes a lot of pressure off of Kyrie Irving. Uh, And I'm not saying that they just be championship favorites, getting those two or getting Buddy Hill, but I think that it allows them to, again, operate in a floor that they may be hesitant to because they don't have a lot of pieces there. So, again, the five teams that I think should definitely at least try to trade for Buddy Hill is the Chicago Bulls, the Miami Heat, the Los Angeles Lakers, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Dallas Mavericks. I think that it fit matters. Obviously, I've talked about I talk about it at nauseum on this podcast, and adding the right team, adding someone like Buddy Hill changes the fortunes, or at least the current fortunes of their team. That's just plain and simple. Like another team, I'm not going to elaborate with, but if Minnesota, who struggles at shooting threes, if they had 
Buddy Hield, that it'll be different. If the Los Angeles Clippers had Buddy Hield, it'd probably be different. Um, it's all just about fit. And adding someone like Buddy Hield can, cha- can, can change your outcome for the season. So I'm interested to see where he goes, and I'm interested to see just how the Indiana Pacers look with or without him on the team, you know? Well, we kind of know what they look like, obviously, with him on the team, but with the emergence of Tyrese Halliburton and everything, I'm interested to see how, you know, what happens. So we'll see. Uh, I want to go over and discuss the WNBA for a second, and we are in the second round of the or the semifinals of the of the – Playoffs. You have the Vegas Aces going against the Dallas Wings. Uh, you also have the New York Liberty going. Liberty, I'm sorry, going against the Connecticut Sun. To me, again, and I, and I don't, I don't want to sound like a a, per, a casual. I don't want to sound like so something that everyone else speaks about. But to me, there's two clear cut teams, man. That is the Vegas, and I've talked about this before. That is the Vegas Aces, and that is the New York Liberty. Those two are the clear-cut best teams in the WNBA. We'll talk. They are starting to hand out the awards for this year, and we'll talk about that in a second. But there's not many weaknesses for both teams. Now, both teams can lose, as we've seen, obviously this year, but. When both teams are dialed in and both teams are playing, when you have Aja Wilson playing as she as good as she plays, she is arguably, if not the best player in basketball. I think she is the best player in basketball when she's playing, you know, when she's dialed in. Kelsey Plum, she is a fire starter. I mean, she if she can catch fire, it's over with. Then you also have Chelsea Gray. We know the historic run that she did last year. We had they have uh six or the Six woman of the or six player of the year in Alicia Clark. And this is all with Kansas Parker not being there. You also have Jackie Young. They have so much talent on the Vegas Aces. Same thing for the New York Liberty. You have Brianna Stewart, who I think had the most 40 point games in WNBA history this year. You have John Quell Jones, who is easily forgotten when we talk about the pantheon of players in the WNBA, but John Quell Jones is also a former MVP. You have Sabrina Nadescu, who is one of the young or one of the best, if not the best, young emerging stars in the WNBA. You have Courtney Vandersloot, who's one of the best uh, point guards in the WNBA. There is so much talent. And don't get me wrong, man. I'm not trying to disrespect the wings. You know, they're, I didn't think they were going to, you know, I didn't think they were going to get here. They obviously beat Atlanta Dream. Uh, and this th- this team is good. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not here to disrespect this team. And I'm also not here to disrespect the uh, Connecticut Sun. We know they're the third best, or they're ranked third. They're the third best team, at least in in the WNBA right now. You have Alyssa Thomas, who uh, made all NBA or all WNBA first team defense. Uh, Dewana Bonner, like you, we know how good this team is. This team is was just in the WNBA finals a year ago. 
but I'm not really to me it's not it's 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 more disrespectful to to not highlight and not be honest about what we're seeing. To me there's two clear-cut best teams. I don't think it doesn't matter how good the the Wings play in my opinion. There's no, I don't think they have a shot. I could be wrong. If I'm definitely if I'm wrong, I will definitely come up here and say I'm wrong. I don't think they have a shot in beating the Vegas Aces. I think they could win a game. But I don't I don't think they have a shot in winning the series. Unless somebody goes down, but even in that but depending on who goes down, but I don't wish for anyone to go down. But I just I just don't see a path where the Dallas Wings, even though they have the most improved player, again we'll talk about that in a second. I, I just don't see a, a, a chance, or I don't see an avenue for them winning. I do. Th- I am very interested about this New York Connecticut Sun series. I think when everyone is playing, first of all. Let's have a moment of silence for my uh, mystics. Uh, Natasha Cloud, she had a career high 33 point or playoff career high, I think 33 points. Um, but they they went out. They they went out in two games uh, against the New York Liberty. It's tough, 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 tough. Moment of silence over. Um, I'm interested to see because of how good this Connecticut Suns team can be defensively, especially being led, obviously, uh, on the defensive side of the ball with Alyssa Thomas. Um, But I just don't know if they can keep up with the firepower. And honestly, the defensive output that the New York Liberty can bring, too, with John Quill Jones and with with Breonna Stewart, it's going to be tough. I think that obviously yeah, it's a two and three matchup, but I think that, that that matchup is a lot closer than the Vegas Aces and Dallas Wings. And like I said to start these playoffs, I think that we are barreling down to a Vegas Aces, New York Liberty, um, WNBA finals. So that's who I obviously have coming out of or coming going into the finals. I have the Aces beating the Wings and I have the Liberty beating the Sun. So. I am interested to see. I mean, it has been really good basketball. Shouts out to all the people that obviously didn't win. But I, I just think we, we, we see the two best players and two best teams in the WNBA, and it looks like they're on a collision course to see each other. So we'll see. If I'm wrong, we'll talk about it. So. Also wanted to give a shout out to like I said they're they're handing out the um WNBA awards not all of them has been announced obviously but they handed out the the sixth sixth player of the year which for people that don't know what that is that's the sixth man of the year for the NBA for the WNBA it's the sixth player of the year and that went to uh Alicia Clark Shouts out to her. She used to be a Washington Mystic. Uh she is a two-time WNBA champion I believe. And she is a very vital part of the Vegas Aces. Even though when you look at her numbers, it doesn't look like it. Like her numbers look pedestrian. But when you see just the impact, it's kind of like, uh, was it Dorica Hamby? Like when when she may not have had the eye popping numbers, but when you look at just how important she was for that Aces team, that's the same way that, or that's the same impact that Alisa Alicia Clark has. And 
again, I don't think people understand how big of a loss Candace Parker, even at this point of her, of, of her career, losing Candace Parker is huge. And having Clark come in and have to play more minutes and be more impactful with Candace Parker not being there is is one of the biggest reasons why I think she won the sixth player of the year. So shouts out to her. Uh, shouts out to uh, Satu Sabali. She, of course, Dallas Wings. She won the most improved. Listen to this. She has improved in every way this year and that is just a testament to how good she is she last year she averaged 11 points a game uh, five rebounds two assists and a steal pretty much this year she averaged pretty much 19 points a game uh, eight rebounds four assists and two steals she has been incredible, and it's it's been so interesting and exciting to see just her growth because, again, it, she's been a consistent 11. Her first year, she averaged 14 points. Second year, she averaged 12. 11, uh, last year, she averaged 10. I mean, 11, I'm sorry. And this year, she averaged almost – she averaged 19 points. That's that's She's been incredible, and she is one of the biggest reasons why – uh, the wings are even in this position to try to compete for an, a WNBA championship. She has been great, and she went to me. Even though she didn't get it unanimously, I think that she is the clear cut, uh, or she was and should have been the clear cut most improved player. And I'm glad that she did win it. So shout out, shouts out to uh Sabali for winning most improved. And Asia Wilson. <laughs> Asia Wilson, she went back to back, at least for right, you know, she went back to back and won the defensive player of the year. This is the second year in a row. I think she was first in rebounds, first in blocks, or something like that. Um I said on this podcast that she is the best player in the WNBA. I understand. I got I got some flack because people are talking about what about Brianna Stewart. Yes, I do think Brianna Stewart is as great as people project. I do think that she is incredible. I do think that you can argue that she is the best player in the in the WNBA. Again, you can argue that. And at at worst, to me, she's the second best player, Brianna Stewart. And the thing that separates her from Aja Wilson is the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, Brianna Stewart is probably a tad bit better than Aja Wilson offensively. But defensively, I think Aja Wilson kind of has Brianna Stewart by a landslide. Um, and this is not me crapping on Brianna Stewart. This is me actually praising Asia Wilson for again winning her second straight defensive player of the year award and it obviously I'm not gonna say it wasn't close because to me it was a two two woman race between Asia Wilson and Alicia Alyssa Thomas from Connecticut but I I'm not mad that you gave it to the person that leads the league and I think rebounds and blocks makes sense <laughs> um shouts out to uh all the people that are winning awards, all the women that uh, made the the WNBA first team and second team, 
shouts out to you guys, yo. It 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 definitely is well deserved. You guys have been, you know, I'd said this is one of the best years than WNBA has seen in a while because of just I think the last time we saw a quote unquote super team in the WNBA was the Comet when they had uh Cheryl Swoops and they had um was it Tina Charles? Like that was probably the last time we saw like a quote unquote super team. I think they won four straight. Uh, I know that there were some years that the Sparks were really good with Lisa Lisa Leslie and Candace Parker and Abumake, uh Neka Abumake, I'm sorry. I know that there were a couple years. Hell, the the Washington Mystics won <laughs> the Washington Mystics won, I believe, in two thousand nineteen. So yeah, but this is the first time I think in the WNBA existence that we have two "quote unquote" super teams, which is of course is the New York Liberty and the Vegas Aces. So, so that has kind of been that has kind of added excitement to this year. And on top of that, we've seen some incredible performances. Again, Alyssa Thomas has been great on the defensive side of the ball. I think that she broke the record for most double doubles or most triple doubles. I think in WNBA history this year. Uh, Again, Brianna Stewart broke the record for most 40-point games. Uh, Satu Sabali, she improved incredibly and won this most improved player. And, again, shouts out to uh, her. Shouts out to Alicia Clark for winning sixth player of the year. And shouts out to Alicia, uh, Asia Wilson, I'm sorry, for winning this defensive player of the year, her second straight defensive player of the year, might I add. Um, let's go back to football and I'm going to obviously give my predictions for week three of the NFL. We just got Thursday night football, the Giants losing to the 49ers. So that is obviously the start of week three. Uh, Let's do the Colts at Ravens. It has come out that Anthony Richardson will not be playing for the Colts this year, this week. He is still in concussion protocol, I believe, after last year or last week getting the, you know, getting hit and going out the game. So I think that the Ravens are going to win. It's kind of, you're already, to me, an underdog going into Baltimore playing Lamar Jackson in this team. And now you don't have your star quarter. I know Gardner Minshew is a, is a pretty good backup, but it's going to be tough. I have the Ravens winning that game. Titans at Browns. I think this is a much, much bigger game for the Browns. I've talked about it ad nauseum of how bad uh, Deshaun Watson has looked, how losing Nick Chubb for the season is is to me because of how bad Deshaun Watson's looked that is that could be a death sentence that more than likely is a death sentence to this team this year if uh Deshaun Watson doesn't play better and honestly there has not been anything to make me think that Deshaun Watson will play better so I have the Titans winning this game uh I would I hope I'm wrong I hope it's a really good game I don't hope I'm wrong I don't really care but if I am wrong, I'll come here and talk about it. But I just think the Titans are going to win the game. I know that the Browns' defense is still incredible. But that offense, with how Deshaun Watson's playing, I don't know if they're going to be able to keep pace with their own defense. So I have the Titans winning, uh, beating the Browns. Falcons at Lions. 
I know the Falcons are a really good feel good story being two and zero, and B. John Robinson has been really good. Desmond Ritter has been really good. Uh, was it Arthur Smith, the the coach? He's been incredible. It's just been a it's been a really good topic of discussion. But I do think that the Lions are just a better team. I think the Lions and it's and you're playing in Detroit. I think the Lions are going to win this game. I like Dan Campbell as you know as a coach. I like Jared Goff more than I like Desmond Ritter, and I do think that it was it was kind of a hiccup last week going against the Seattle Seahawks. I'm going to go with the Lions beating the Falcons. Saints at Packers. Honestly, yo, <laughs> I don't like it's it's oh boy, that the Saints team has not looked good at least offensively these first two weeks. I know they're two and zero, but they're mainly two and zero because one they played they haven't really played good teams, and two their defense has been incredible. Like I mean, Marcus Lattimore, uh, Cam Jordan, like they've been really good. Tyron Matthew, but offensively, I don't know. The same thing can be said kind of for the Packers just in a different way. Their defense has not really been that good, and their offense has been good. You're at Green Bay. Um, I think, oh, boy. When you talk about the – I'm going to go with the Saints. I And I, I'm, I'm only going with that because I like Derek Carr more than I like Jordan Love right now, and that's no offense to Jordan Love. He's been a lot better than I thought he would be. I just don't like the Saints, man. Like, both of these teams haven't the, – the Packers looked ugly last week, and the Saints have had two pretty ugly wins. So I'm just going to go with the Saints. Texans at Jaguars. I'm going to go with the Jaguars. Uh, you you have Trevor Lawrence. He's going to arguably be the best player, even though I do like the Texans' defense has been playing. Te- Texans' defense has been very surprising, and they've been one of the best defenses in football, it, and they play extremely hard. It's just they're really young, and they kind of lack talent everywhere else. Uh, so I, I got the Jaguars winning. Broncos at Dolphins. Look here. <laughs> The Broncos lost their two gimme games. They should have beat the Raiders. They sh- they they were so, they were up eighteen points against Washington. Now you're going to Denver. Now I understand that Jalen Waddle probably won't play, and Jalen Ramsey obviously still isn't playing. But the problem with this Broncos team is more on the defense than it is on Russell Wilson this year. And you're going up against a team that can. Once they flip the switch offensively, even though you don't have Jalen Waddle, but you still have Tyreek Hill, uh, it's going to be tough. So I have the Broncos going down 0-3 and losing to the Dolphins. Chargers at Vikings. This is a huge game for both teams. Um, I, I dropped a reel and I talked about the hot seat that the Chargers are on right now and Brandon Staley and... I'm not saying that uh, Justin Herbert is going to lose his job or anything, but I do think that the criticism for that Justin Herbert receives is going to be a lot louder. Um, but I do think that I think that this is a very important game for both because you at this, the the Vikings, especially when we talk about the NFC as a whole, you don't want to go in a three hole, a three o hole, or o three hole. And it's tough to get out of, especially in that division. 
I mean, the division's not that good, so you could probably still go 0-3 and win it. But it's not it's not promising. Um, I'm going to go with the Chargers, man. I just, to me, even though I said all I said last episode about um, Justin Herbert, I think that they he, he's going to play better than Kirk Cousins, in my opinion. And defensively, I like the names on the Chargers more than I like the names on the Vikings, obviously. So, And we're going to talk about Cam Akers in a second, but... Vikings did just get Cam Akers. I just don't think that's going to help this week. So I have the Chargers winning. Patriots at Jets. Ah, we know how good the Patriots def- or the the Jets defense is, but we also know how iffy, just to put it lightly, um, Zach Wilson is. So I'm going to pick the Patriots. I just think it's hard for Zach Wilson. I mean, Zach Wilson hasn't looked good. I mean, they did win the first game, but that was more on the defense, in my opinion, and the special teams. I just don't think Zach Wilson is going to fare too well against this Patriots defense and against Bill Belichick. So I have the Patriots winning that. Bill is at Washington. I will say that Washington's defense has looked as good as projected, especially the front. I mean, we know how good they were going to be um, on the defensive front when you have, of course, Chase Young and Sweat and Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen. But I think that that 2-0 record comes to or that undefeated streak comes to an end. I just think that uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for Washington. So I got the Bills winning that. Panthers and Seahawks. Uh, I got the Seahawks. It looks like Bryce Young isn't going to play, and he's pretty much – now this defense is really good with Brian Burns and everything, but I just think when you don't have you know your quarterback, it's going to be tough. And even with Bryce Young, they haven't really looked good offensively. They don't really have that weapon that they need. Um, so I have the Seahawks winning that. Cowboys at Cardinals. Cardinals are going to get destroyed, I think. I think Cowboys are going to destroy the Cardinals, honestly. Bears at Chiefs, I think same exact thing. I think the Chiefs are going to destroy the Bears. We know how disorganized the Bears have been this week, especially. It's it's going to be curtains for them. Um, Steelers at Raiders. Boy. That's a tough one. Um... I guess I'll say the Steelers because uh, I, I like the Steelers' defense more than I like the Raiders. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, go, I'll, I'll go Steelers. You got two Monday Night Football games. Again, Eagles at Buccaneers. I have the Eagles winning. I just think the Eagles are a better team. And I trust Jalen Hurts more than I trust uh, Baker Mayfield. Even though Baker Mayfield has been playing better than I thought he would. And Rams at Bengals. I think that the Bengals get their first win. Uh, yeah, actually, no, I don't know because it looks like Justin. It looks like uh, Homie can't even walk. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> I don't. I don't. Yeah, no. It looks like it looks like Joe Burrow is it's really struggling. To, he needs rest with his hamstring. So I think I'm gonna pick the Rams on that one. Uh, so yeah, that's those are my predictions. Uh, let's see. If they're required or not. Uh, and the unpopular topic of the day. 
I said I was going to talk about Cam Akers in a second. Here it is. Cam Akers gets traded to the Vikings. And this topic isn't more on Cam Akers as much as it is about the running back position in general this year. It has been a tough, tough year for the um, for the running back position. Whether we talk about, of course, we know it started with obviously them trying to get a deal done, and, and let's say Juan Barkley and all the running backs coming together and trying to form a super like yo, we need to get this done. Uh, we also know that. I said before two things could be true. It, it it has been a very tough year for the running back position. We talk about Nick Chubb's injury, and even though it's, it's less minor, obviously, or it's less than Nick Chubb, but uh, Saquon Barkley's injury and everything. But it's also this year is also going as expected for the running back position, and I'm not saying due to the injuries. I'm saying we knew Chris McCaffrey's going to be great. We knew Derrick Henry's going to be great. The problem is, this is what we've seen for the longest. You see, in in you see the top running backs be the top running backs. Nick Chubb when he was playing, you know, when he's playing, uh, Saquon Barkley, Chris McCaffrey, Derrick Henry. We knew they were going to be great. Then there's just everyone else, and, and that's no offense to you know the Brees Hall, the the Kenneth Walkers. Yeah, that's no offense to them, the the Brian Robinsons, but it hasn't been great. And Cam Akers was a very important piece to the to the Rams, and he didn't even work out. So the unpopular topic of the day is. Again, I don't think that th this season has been a has been proof as to why the running backs aren't really getting paid that they feel they should get paid because they're not. Unfortunately, Christian McCaffrey can, can go crazy and everything. I don't think he is the most important piece of the 49ers. Derrick Henry can run and be great, but no one has the Chargers. I mean, not the Chargers. The Titans winning the Super Bowl, even getting there. It's got, like I said, man, it's going to be a long fight. A long fight for uh, for um, yeah, it's going to be a long fight for the running backs. I don't, I don't think anything this year has, has helped them. So, yeah. And there you have it, man. That has been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly, truly appreciate you guys. Um, if you want to pop up a podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your unpopular podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. It definitely means a lot. Tell a friend, tell a friend, tell a friend. I'm trying to grow the YouTube channel, obviously. See how how much this community can grow. So, if you subscribe, if you can. If you know someone that's not subscribed and you like the content, tell them to subscribe. Also, please uh, subscribe. Please follow the socials, follow Instagram, follow TikTok. I post Rails daily. Uh, I post pretty much anything daily on the on the socials, so follow those. Uh, shouts out to K 
Candace Rebel. I did an interview for them. The link, I guess, will be in the description. I did an interview about being a creative. And uh, that published, what, two days ago. So shouts out to them. Uh, and I appreciate them. And I appreciate you guys, definitely. Uh, until next time, much love.